Coming then to Genesis 3, 14 to 19, foundations for living in the 21st century, thinking of suffering this morning. Then considering the, suf- the subject of suffering today, we're considering a subject with which our congregation is most familiar. A whole range of suffering is being experienced by members of this congregation. Some have known toothache, cancer, the flu, unemployment, addictions within their family members, stress, bereavement. This proves that suffering is part of our lives, of our families' lives, and is a foundational element of our existence. And these verses in Genesis are most helpful for us in understanding suffering. We've considered five foundations for living in chapter 2 of the book of Genesis. Sabbath, work, identity, covenant, marriage. In chapter 3 we've noted the foundation of our sinfulness. Now in chapter 3 we conclude our studies by considering two further foundations for living in this century. Human suffering and this evening divine grace. We have emphasized that we cannot live well in our life and in our time without a knowledge and use of these foundations for our lives. Without a Sabbath rest, we will burn out physically and spiritually and mentally. Without knowing our true identity, we'll have a low self-esteem, become confused, depressed and hopeless in our life without understanding work as being a God-given element, we will hate our work, resent it, and consider it a mere burden. Covenant has emphasized that we're in a relationship with God. Marriage has clarified our closest relationship within humanity. Sinfulness has explained so much about our own behavior and our societies behavior. These are foundations for our living in the 21st century, which are informative and directive for our lives today. And in these last two foundations, we consider two further fundamental aspects of living in our time, suffering and grace. Suffering is a massive subject, of course, for us and for everyone. It is one of the questions frequently asked about Christianity. If there is a good and powerful God, then why is there suffering in our world? Chapter 3 of Genesis goes a long way to answer that question. The key point to remember, as we said to the children, as we examine suffering in our life and in our world, is that it's part of the fall of mankind. There was no suffering before Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Here then is the source of all our suffering. The reason why we encounter and experience suffering in our society and in our life. Here is the explanation for the trouble, the heartbreak, the disappointment, the cruelty, the violence of our time. Right at the start of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. And for some people, this maybe raises more questions than it answers. Suffering 
is a divine punishment on human sinfulness. This in the eyes of some depicts God as cruel and unjust. But let's remember, God is greater than us. His wisdom, his holiness, his ways are above us. Let's acknowledge that we often underestimate the offensiveness of our sin to God. Let's understand that balancing this subject of suffering is the subject of grace that we'll think of this evening. And let's accept that it was our disobedience as represented by Adam and Eve which brought about this suffering in our world. There are five aspects of suffering identified in Genesis 3, 14 to 19 that we mention this morning. The first type of suffering mentioned here is satanic attacks. Satanic attacks in verse number 15. I will put enmity between you, that's Satan, and the woman. The first type of suffering is satanic attacks. Satan, a fallen angel, has been the arch enemy of humanity from the beginning. Have you ever asked yourself, why did he bother to show up in the Garden of Eden and tempt Eve? Why would he want to do that? Because he wants to destroy humanity. But why does he want to destroy humanity? It's because God is seen in humanity. The image of God was displayed in Adam and Eve and in ourselves. And Satan hates everything that is linked to God. God had thrown Satan out of heaven. God has refused to share his throne with Satan. God is greater than Satan. And so Satan attacks God and all that is associated with God. Dominic Rabb is angry. Angry at the civil servants who he maintains ousted him from his position. And Dominic Rabb is attacking the civil servants. Satan has been deposed from his power by God. And Satan attacks God and all that's related to God. God promises here then, verse 15, he warns that humanity will be subject to satanic attack. There will be enmity, God says, between Satan and us. Satan, the subtle foe, as seen as his temptation with Eve. Satan, the unseen foe, as the devil adopts the body of a snake indicates. Satan will be at enmity with humanity. The word is strong, enmity. It means warfare. And Job and Jesus and Peter and Judas and the New Testament church experienced the attacks of Satan. The slithering snake in our world and in our planet is a visible reminder to us of satanic attacks against us. The snake was to eat the dust. Some commentators think that the serpent or the snake had legs before this but was now reduced to ground level. Eat the dust means to have its mouth close to the ground when dust will accidentally enter its mouth. It deliberately eats alligators and mice, but accidentally it eats the dust. It's a place of humiliation. We use the phrase, another one bites the dust 
indicating their humiliation and defeat. The slithering snake in our planet reminds us of Satan's humiliation, but also of his enmity and his attack against humanity. Despite the humbling, Satan continues to attack humanity. The New Testament makes it clear that we are in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, that's people that we see, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. Firstly, suffering comes from satanic attacks. It's not a subject we talk about much, is it? Or think about much? We shy away from it, perhaps. We stick to the positives in the Bible. We stick to Christ and the cross and the kingdom of God. But the apostles don't. Every one of them mentions the devil. Peter, Paul, John, Jude, James, the gospel writers, the writer of the book of Acts. They recognize this element of suffering within humanity, enmity, warfare between Satan and us. Perhaps the Puritans were a group of preachers and theologians that reflect the biblical emphasis. And the most famous book written on this subject comes from that era by Thomas Brooks, boys and girls, senior questions, Thomas Brooks. Unusually, he lived for 72 years from 1608 to 1680. But what a book it is. It's the first segment in his first volume of six by Thomas Brooks. And it's called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And for us who don't think about this subject very much, this is a book to read. And he identifies 32 ways that Satan attacks God's people. And he divides it into four main groupings. Firstly, he has 12 for Satan's temptation to general sinning. The second grouping is eight ways in which Satan tempts us to doubt our salvation, God's promises. The third grouping is four ways in which Satan tempts different classes of people. He tempts the rich in peculiar ways. He tempts the poor in specific ways. And then the last grouping is eight ways in which Satan tempts us not to come to church. And for some of us, it's the first grouping that would really help us. General sin. For the second group, that might be useful to some of us. We're tempted to doubt God's promises. Perhaps the third group would be useful to some of us. You're very rich or you're very poor and you would get help in that area. Or perhaps it's the the fourth group that would be useful to, to some of us. Those moments when we struggle to go to church. There's a book for us that will help us in this area of Satan's attacks. For young people, 
There's a, there's, a, there's a challenge in a direction here. There seems to be a trend in our time that when you leave your home to go to work somewhere else or go to university, that you are to question everything that you have learned in your home or in your congregation. That it's woke to question the teaching that you've received here or in a, another evangelical congregation when you're, when you're away from that congregation. But I encourage you to just think of Genesis 3. Questioning God's word was an attack of Satan on Adam and Eve. What we're to do when we leave home, what you're to do when you leave home, is not to question God's word but to embrace and trust and follow and keep believing that word. So first area of suffering is satanic attack. Secondly, parental troubles in verse 16. It states the pain of childbirth is another element of suffering as a result of the fall. All right, Catherine, sorry about this here. Uh, okay. Uh, our support is all the way along. I'll not be mentioning that chainsaw that we're talking about yesterday. Anyway, that's, that's, that's another area. Okay, verse 16. I will greatly multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. The pain of a mother in labor, it's well known to us. The pain referred to here probably includes morning sickness, labor, birth, postnatal troubles. And when the Bible discusses severe trouble and pain, it frequently uses the example of childbirth pains. Isaiah 13, Micah chapter 4. The phrase in verse 16, in pain you shall bring forth children, perhaps includes the anxiety, the sleepless nights, the heartbreak that can be caused by our children after their birth, as they grow, as they make decisions, as they take different routes. Birth pains and subsequent parental sorrows are reminders of the effects of the fall. A feeding tube in her left nostril carries nutrients down into her stomach while a tube in her other nostril connects to a ventilator to assist her breathing. As soon as this baby girl was born, she needed three open heart surgeries and will need a heart transplant at the age of 18. The pains sometimes associated with childbearing. The mother, Mrs. Young, who's just discovered that her daughter, a former Miss England contestant, Jennifer Young, is in a Mexican jail for trying to smuggle a quarter of a million pound of drugs and facing 20 years imprisonment. She's a broken woman now, unable to sleep, living in Derby so far from her daughter. The troubles sometimes associated with parenting. And surely today in our congregation, this is an aspect of life that should elicit love and sympathy from us as it did from Jesus. Think of the sorrows of some adults or parents here in this congregation today. 
For some, it's the sorrow of not having children. For some, it's the sorrow of losing a child. For some, it's the illness of their child. For some, it's the spiritual condition of their child. For some, it's the sorrow of their child living far away. For some, it's the poor choices that their child has made. All of us parents have hopes and dreams of how our children will behave and what they will accomplish. But that does not always work out. For my parents, and perhaps for some of you, parental troubles is another suffering in our world. Thirdly, Domestic abuse in verse 16. Part of the effects of the fall is conflict within marriage. Verse 16 describes much more than that the wife will desire a handsome man and that the man will lead the wife. Much more is involved in verse 16 than what was present in the Garden of Eden in the marriage of Adam and Eve. This closest of human relationships, marriage made for our mutual support and benefits will contain tensions. The tensions are on both sides. From the wife to her husband. From the husband towards his wife. A disruption is implanted after the fall that is part of the consequences of the fall. Verse 16, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, God says to the wife. The desire of the wife to her husband here is a cunning, sinister desire. Contrary, the ESV margin has, against, contrary, against your husband. Rather than being a helper, a supporter to him and for him, she will be at enmity with him. And then the husband towards the wife in verse 16 will rule over the wife. Rule is in a tyrannical sense of cruelly trying to keep his wife under the thumb. Woman's aid describes the idea here well when it defines domestic abuse as controlling, coercive or threatening behavior. Here the husband after the fall will rule over his wife in a tyrannical way, suppressing her gifts and her freedoms. In the UK, as you probably know, the police get a phone call reporting domestic abuse every minute. At least one in four women experience domestic violence in their lifetime. Two women per week are killed by an ex-partner or by a violent partner. One in five counselling sessions are for domestic violence. I've been reading the story, boys and girls, of Mary Slessor. And she grew up in a, a difficult home. It's one of the, the books in the, the church library for the children. She had playground fights, a really interesting girl. She had red hair, a really short temper. But, but God used all of this to make her a, a wonderful missionary. But her home life was desperately sad. One day she ran out of school to the beach in, in Aberdeen, crying, no one really knows what my home is like. Catherine Mackenzie, the author, writes, 
Other children didn't have to hide bruises behind tattered old rags. But Mary did. And in our society and in our town and in our life, domestic abuse is common. As we talk with one another here, as we speak with people at Notion Natter, as we visit in our community in Pound Street and John Street and South Street, not ju- let's not just think of the possibility that this person is a sinner going to hell, but that this person is locked in a family of domestic abuse. That they live with fear and threat and cruelty and intimidation and let our love flow toward them. And let us Every one of us, every family here, model healthy families, loving families and marriages. Let us stamp out any hint of emotional, verbal or psychological abuse in our homes. Let the husband determine never to put down his wife, but comfort her, support her. Let parents rebuke any bullying they notice among their children. There's enough domestic abuse in our world among unbelievers. Let it not enter the home of any family in this congregation. Let us repent, and all of us I'm sure have to repent, of any memory of abuse that has come to us. Any time when our anger got out of control, a spouse, a parent, a sibling. Domestic abuse is another suffering resulting from the fall. Fourthly, work in verses 16 to 19. The punishment of Adam was appropriate to his sin. He had sinned in eating. And so his punishment is in eating. The ground that was once his and our friend is made his and our enemy. Thorns and thistles will frustrate efforts to put food on our table. Work, we've argued and and, and shown and proven, is not the result of sin, but hard work is. Adam never sweated before. Food was for pleasure, probably not for sustenance. But now there were deserts and weeds to contend with and all kinds of degenerative elements in the earth to oppose him. Too much rain. Not enough rain, flooding, disease, famine, blight, canker, powdery mildew, black spot. And all the pains that we experience of a nine to five inside office job. Backache, neck pain, eye strain, headaches, stress, carpal tunnel syndrome, obesity, cardiac arrest. We have so many troubles and illnesses associated with trying to earn a living, pay the bills, put bread on the table, keep a roof over our heads, just make ends meet. The trials of the workplace are a result of the fall. There's been a lot of talk about the supposed bullying of Dominic Rabb in the workplace. People couldn't get on with their work out of fear, out of the toxic environment that he created. The nine to five is hard. Everyone feels it. And that is why it's so important to include times of rest, 
in our work schedule. In our midweeks, we're studying the discipline of solitude. It's so important. It doesn't need to be a holiday on a desert island for a month. You can just be switching off your car radio as you travel into work for that time of solitude. To think, to pray, to strengthen your walk with God. And lastly, the last type of suffering resulting from the fall is illness and death. Verse 19. Or death is described in humbling terms. You will return to the ground. Verse 19. We will battle with the ground all of our lives so that we can live. The ground will constantly attack us and frustrate us. And plowing stones are hit. And sowing weeds will grow. But in the end, the ground will beat us. It will swallow us up at death. The ground we've wrestled with will win. The cursed ground that we fight against for 70, 80 years will triumph over us, will die and return to the ground from which we were created. Hard labor in life. Swallowed by the ground in death. The punishment of death here includes every illness on the way to death, the germs of death, the seed of death in us from the moment of our conception and manifested in the various illnesses with which we're familiar. We carry this burden around with us. When a person gets to 50, they become anxious about getting old. They worry about their fading looks, the prospect of serious health problems. Losing independence, being a burden to others, illness, death, another result of the fall. Walking the wards of any hospital reminds us of the multitude of illnesses that people experience. Hearing the cries of pain from from rooms, desperation from confused patients, people in agony. Seeing people of all ages reminds us of this element of the effect of the fall, illness and death. It's easy to get the wrong end of the stick with the miracles of Jesus. They wear acts of compassion. They wear revelations of him as the son of God. But supremely, they were rolling back the effects of the fall. But only for a time. The tide of their illness would come in again. Death would come. Mortality would be evident. But that moment, that moment of rolling back the effects of the fall is pointing to the work and mission of Jesus Christ. He has come as the Savior to save us from our sin. As we confess our sins before him and trust in his redemptive work, we receive his forgiveness. Suffering, a foundational element for living in the 21st century, comes in various forms, satanic attack, parental troubles, domestic abuse, work, illness, and death. Think of this. Think of the person behind you in church today or in front of you And they're suffering. Then ask, what can I do about it? Let us all remember that Jesus suffered in all these points 
He stood where we stand. He knows about satanic attacks 40 days in the wilderness. Parental troubles, his brothers didn't believe in him. Domestic abuse, Nazareth was a rough place. The hardships of work as a carpenter and as a preacher, illness and death, he died. And he sympathizes with you. He loves you. He walks beside you. He is grace enough for you. And he will save us from the penalty of our sin. From the power of our sin. From the presence of our sin.